0: Jesus, today and every day we celebrate your resurrection. We live in the truth and the light of your resurrection. Because you live, we can face today, we can face tomorrow. So as we open your word, Lord, let the truth and the light of what you've done shine into our hearts and change us, that we could be your witnesses, we could testify the world would see our changed lives. And we would point to you and bring glory to you, God. As, we, as I come here today, my prayer is that the abundant life that you came to give would be um, made manifest in the lives of the people here that you brought this morning. And I pray, just like you taught us to pray, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we look to your resurrection, we celebrate the truth and we verify it. and We testify to it, God. Will you... Uh, back up our testimony with your presence, God. We want you. We know that you're alive. We know that you're here. Visit us, Lord. Join us. Make us aware of your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christ is risen. I wish I could sing, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. I think I'll probably just burst out in song sometimes and you'll just have to suffer through it. Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 20 today. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open it up. The children will be joining us today, so don't you don't have to be stressed out or uptight about that. Um, if they get noisy or they get rowdy, uh, you can just let it happen. Maybe that'll be a cue to me to speed things along and, and uh, not to ramble on. Um, So we welcome you. If you're a guest, we welcome you. We do this on a regular basis. We come together. We sing about Jesus. We tell truths. We read God's Word. We pray for one another. We encourage and lift one another up. Uh, We joyfully greet each other in the back, even when the beginning of the service has already started. You may have noticed that, and maybe uh, you thought that was weird. Uh, When I hear that, I just think, man, we love each other, and that's a cool thing. So. if, if you're not familiar with church or you've had a bad church experience, I won't say that we're perfect. You know, I'm not here to lift up the name of this particular church, but there's people here, and they try to love Jesus, and they try to love people, and uh, if you'll bless us with your presence, we'll do our best to uh, be a blessing to you as well. So we're going to be in John chapter 20, and uh, I've asked Barry to come up, and uh In my former life, I was an English teacher, so I'm used to making people, like, read passages and stand up and read things to the group. So we're going to be in John chapter 20, and I asked Barry to read from verse 1 to verse 23. So why don't we stand up for the reading of God's Word? This is, I want to say, this is a testimony. If you look at John chapter 19, verse 35, I should have said all this before I had you come up here. This is a testimony. John said in verse uh, 35 of chapter 19, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. So what we'll read in this chapter is a testimony of a Jewish man named John. And if you know the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, one of the the most important things that would have been a hallmark And an anchor in this Jewish man's life is that you're not to bear false witness. The word of a person was a precious, treasured thing. And it was not, uh, testimonies weren't given lightly. They were given with a weightiness that came from this is a law from God. And so John is staking his reputation on the testimony that Barry's going to read to us. So I want you to hear it in light of that. This man is speaking. He's speaking uh, with the weight of his whole life, his up, Jewish upbringing upon him, and he's testifying to Jesus. I hit that button? Is it on? I think I turned it back on. Oh, there you go. We're good? Oh.
1: Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed. Thank you. Been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken our Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. She has, he asked her, "Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for?" Thinking he was the gardener, she said, "Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him." Jesus said to Mary, "Said to her, Mary." She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, "Aramaic, Rabboni," which means "Teacher." Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven.
0: So this is John. John's account we have in the Bible, four gospels telling the story uh, of the life of Jesus and their eyewitness accounts, you know, uh, they, they have different details and different perspectives that they emphasize. But they're viewing the same account. They're viewing the same events. And their testimony, I would say to you, their testimony has held up. It holds up until today. We're gathered celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus established that his resurrection would be proclaimed. Through witnesses. Through witnesses. It was God's strategy that people would witness the life of Jesus. He chose people to witness his life, to witness his death, to witness him after the resurrection, and to be his witnesses until the world. That was the strategy of Jesus. If you look, uh, let's say um, in Acts Chapter 1, verse 3, it says that after suffering, Jesus appeared and he gave many um, convincing proofs that he was alive. He met with his disciples over 40 days. He had appointed witnesses. Uh, Barry just read to us that he went to where the disciples were gathered. And um, he specifically mentions the disciples, but in Luke's account, he says, and those that were gathered with him. Jesus met with a select and chosen group of people He appeared to them and convinced them that they would be his witnesses. In uh, Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 39, Peter giving a, a testimony. He's preaching a message. He says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people. Now, I, th- I was thinking, you know, I've thought at times like Jesus should have just appeared in the sky to everyone alive on earth or maybe the entire population of Jerusalem. But he chose people to appear to. And we hear this word over and over in Scripture. We hear this word witnesses. He selected witnesses, trustworthy witnesses. They'd seen his life. They'd seen his ministry. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen his inner life. His uh, prayer life with his father. They'd seen his character and the minute details of his day. The way that he carried himself. They'd seen him, his trial. They'd seen his suffering. They'd seen his crucifixion. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him be put in the tomb. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the risen Lord. They were his witnesses. Uh, Paul was also a witness. He encountered the resurrected Christ and he testified it. Uh, In one place he testified, in Athens, right? And it says in verse uh, 22 of chapter 17 of Acts, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Aeropagus, I believe that's the right word, and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you were ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Uh, The Athenians loved... Philosophy, they love debate, they love to consider themselves intellectuals and students. Uh, they lived to live in their brain and, and explore all these ideas and have all these thoughts and imaginations and philosophies. Uh, and he calls them ignorant, which uh, maybe got their attention. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heavens and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. For God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not very far off from any one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by design, human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul's preaching, he says, the proof of God's message is the resurrected Jesus. He's given proof to everyone through the testimony of his witnesses by raising him from the dead. You know, we think of maybe the, the first century world, the times of Jesus, of we think of these people as superstitious, maybe gullible, unscientific, unsophisticated. Uh, they have a lack of knowledge. They they're just will believe anything. Uh, they're easy to fool. And what happened when he preached in Athens, it says, when they heard the res- about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. The audience of the first preachers of the resurrection of Christ they weren't just gullible people ready to believe any old thing that came around. They were skeptical. They were uh, considered themselves intellectual. Some of them were investigators. Some of them would uh, dis- seek out to discover the truth. But they didn't just take any old thing that anybody said and believe it. They demanded witnesses. They demanded proof. They wanted evidence. But he did say that others said, we want to hear more about this subject and some of them became followers of Paul and believed. Jesus set it up that there would be witnesses to his life, and those witnesses were chosen, and they went out to preach the message of the resurrected Christ. Now, I thought maybe there's different reasons why he didn't appear to everybody. Um, there would be conflicting, lots of conflicting stories. And, and there were uh, secondhand, secondhand accounts of what had happened as people put their own versions of the truth, their own thoughts about what they heard, and they spun their own theories and philosophies, their own uh, cults, their own religions, their own uh, versions of the story. But the most trustworthy versions of the story came from the people who were the chosen witnesses of Jesus. And you might say, well, that's convenient. He just appeared to a select group of people, and they verified their story, and they went out into the world, and they... They got their message together, and you might think that in that strategy, there's the opportunity for deception. You may think this is a plot. These people got together. Uh, Jesus faked his death, which was what some people claimed. Um, and the simple antidote to that would have been to find someone in the inner circle who would confess maybe under the pain of torture, under the pain of death, under bribery, they would confess to fabricating a story. Or maybe they could go out and they could find the body of Jesus and produce it and put it on display in Jerusalem and make it travel around the, the, the Roman Empire as evidence against the story of Christ. As it was, Jesus chose witnesses Now, in the Greek, some of you may know the word for witness. Does anybody know the word for witness in Greek? It's martyr. The Greek word for witness is the word martyr. Now, we have a different meaning in English for the word martyr, don't we? What's the word martyr mean? Essentially, it's one who dies because of their testimony. You know, uh, there have been throughout history uh, people who have undertaken to investigate these accounts. Journalists, uh, journalists and lawyers, it seems like, they maybe are the most successful because they write, they write books about it. But there's quite a few books that you can find out there uh, from lawyers investigating the evidence, putting, as it were, the testimony about Jesus on trial. Journalists doing investigative reporting, finding all their sources, interviewing uh, essentially people from the past um, one of the most famous is lee strobel who was an atheist a journalist he went to yale law so he was trained in the law he was trained as a lawyer uh, he was a legal editor for the chicago tribune he was a an accomplished and respected uh, student of the law and a journalist well hell yeah eleanor your dress looks really pretty And Lee Strobel set out to investigate, to uh, uh, apply the, the techniques of journalism to the story of Jesus. And he became a believer. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ. You could probably go to any St. Vincent de Paul or Goodwill and look on the bookshelf and you'll find a copy of that book. It's, I don't know how many millions of copies are out there. He investigated it and he found ev- sufficient evidence to believe and he became a believer based upon the witnesses. And one of the most convincing evidences for the to, to verify the resurrection is the fact that all of the people who claimed to see the resurrection of Jesus, there's no one to be found who upon a deathbed confession, under the pain of torture or death, denied the resurrection of Jesus. There's no one to be Be found who claimed that there was a plot or conspiracy, they carried the testimony that they had unto their death. They preached until the end, and many, if not all, of them were martyred or killed. Now, I was trying to imagine, especially John, this is John's story later in life, if a journalist from today's world, a skeptical journalist especially, maybe went to John. Uh, and I could imagine the, the headlines, the misinformation, disinformation, those are big words today, right? Uh, and I was thinking, you know, it might be like, uh, you know, uh, purveyor of resurrection hoax, you know, lives on his own private island, right? Or, yeah, they would tell a story about this guy, John, who by purveying this hoax of the resurrection has got himself a, a private island in the Aegean Sea. You know, he lives in the Mediterranean, we can twist information, right? John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That's where he received the vision for the book of Revelation. Um, and we don't know John's death. We don't have that recorded. He lived to be the oldest. He lived to, the old, to an old age. I think AD 90, somewhere around there is when he wrote the uh, Revelations. So he lived to an old age. He got himself a private island. You know, he profited, right, and benefited uh, by sharing this message, creating this cult, as it were. You can imagine the headlines that would purvey disinformation. But the witnesses that were there that encounter the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, Peter's one. Peter was crucified by the Romans. He was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to suffer in the same way that Jesus did. Paul was put to death by the Romans. Andrew was crucified. Thomas, Doubting Thomas, who appears uh, later in the chapter that we read, he made his way to India. There's a church, there's buildings in India today on the West Coast that you can, you can go and visit that trace their heritage, their lineage back to Thomas, who preached the gospel. Uh, he was speared in India. Uh, Philip was arrested. He preached the gospel uh, a Roman official's wife was converted, came to faith in Christ, and the husband was so mad that he had, um, he had him arrested and put to death. Matthew was probably stabbed to death in Ethiopia, preaching the gospel, taking the resurrection story to the ends of the earth, and, and proclaiming it until his death. Even as he's being stabbed, or before then, any of these men could have denied the story. They could have spilled the beans. They could have confessed the plot. They were willing to die. They were convinced to suffering and death that they had encountered the resurrected Christ. You can read uh, through the Gospels. The Gospels, I love their honesty. You can see their demeanor. You can see their behavior. You can see uh, maybe their posture. Even in this chapter, they're hiding behind closed doors, are they not? They're in fear of the Jewish leaders, and you see a transformation in their lives. There's an impartation of boldness because they encounter the resurrected Christ. They go from cowering, denying Christ, hiding behind closed doors. Peter denied Christ three times, did he not? To inconsequential people, slave girls. People that had no bearing on uh, his life, that had no influence, that had no power, that had uh, no ability to influence the outcome of his life. And just under uh, the questioning or accusation of these inconsequential people, he denied that he knew Jesus. And yet he encounters the resurrected Christ, and he steps out and boldly preaches the first resurrection sermon. And to the, in the face of the people who previously he was hiding behind from, hiding from behind closed doors. We could go on. We could talk about James, son of Alveus, Bartholomew, um, uh, Simon the Zealot, uh, Matthias, who replaced Judas, and then John, who was exiled on Patmos. All of these men, all of these witnesses were witness to the point of death. Uh, we would say untimely. An unfortunate, uh, an unnatural death. They were faithful. Something happened. And what happened was they encountered the resurrected Christ. This is John's testimony. I love the details that he gives here. Um, He's obviously corroborated his story with Mary Magdalene. Uh, She runs to the tomb. You know, when I was reading this, I mean, this probably... Uh, gives insight into my personality uh I just thought, man, that's a lot of running that they're doing on a Sunday morning. you know I mean Rusty he gets out and runs for fun, but uh you know like i I need uh special circumstances to run and uh and some ibuprofen like thirty minutes beforehand. You can ask my wife i have to I have to like prepare twenty four hours beforehand before I go play goalie in an indoor soccer game. There's a lot of running. Um, And Mary Magdalene comes to the empty tomb, and she doesn't suspect a resurrection. She suspects uh, a grave robbery. She goes back. She runs back. Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, they run to the tomb. And, you know, this detail is pointed out. There's lots of good jokes about it that uh, John notes that he came to the, he notes twice that he came to the, uh, the tomb before Peter, which is maybe an inside joke. I just love that little. That little line there, uh, I also love uh, the Don Francisco song from Peter's perspective, like they ran to the tomb, John ran on ahead, like you know he's going to go check it out and, and scout it out. Not that he got there faster, but anyway, they saw strips of linen lying there. they saw the cloth wrapped around Jesus' head, and Peter goes inside, and finally it says, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside, and it says he saw." And believed. This is something that stood out to me. In parentheses, John includes they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And this stood out to me. And I want to I want to say this to you, that you don't have to understand every single thing before you believe. John didn't have all the details. He saw the strips of linen lying there. He saw. He didn't even see the resurrected Jesus. He saw a little bit of evidence, and he believed. You know what else John saw? He saw Good Friday, he saw the trial, he saw the betrayal, he saw the denial, he saw the torture, he saw the crucifixion, he saw the body, the dead body of Jesus taken down. And if you think about the weight of the negative emotion that John must have been feeling, confusion, pain, fear, perhaps shame, despair, he probably felt anger at the people who did this, he probably felt disappointment at the outcome. He was expecting the kingdom of God to come in a different way. He, expect, he experienced crust expectations of what he wished would happen. And the weight of all this, when put on the scale, he saw an empty tomb, empty, uh, an empty shroud, empty death cloths. And he believed. John's heart was inclined, I believe. He was leaning toward belief. I think uh, that's instructive for us. I think some of us, when we encounter negative circumstances, when we're in the middle of a situation, I fear that some of us are inclined to believe the worst. We're inclined to believe there's a negative outcome that's just coming down the pike. We're, we're inclined to believe bad things. or we're inclined to disbelieve that God's working all things for our good and all things for His glory. You can see the posture of John's heart. He's leaning forward to belief. He's not leaning back on uh, leaning back to, to fall back and push, be pushed back by all the negative evidence and the negative circumstances and a negative interpretation of the things going on around him. He's ready to believe because he knows Jesus. He knows the Father. He looks at a little bit, you know, you can say, I mean, his body could be stolen. There's no angels yet. These guys haven't seen angels. They haven't seen the resurrected Jesus. You know, there are explanations at this point that can explain away any uh, budding inkling of hope. And yet John because he knows Jesus, and he knows the Father. He grabs on to hope, and it, it pushes away all of the negative. Yeah. I think we need to posture our hearts, not to be gullible, not to be, uh, you know, just optimistic, generally optimistic. We need to anchor our hope on who Jesus is, and who the Father is. And then when we're facing even overwhelming negative uh, influence, we need to lean toward belief, and we need to grab on to who God is, anchored in who God is. And when we see an inkling of hope, we need to believe. God is good. He's working all things for our good. He's working all things for his glory. Those things are true no matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on, in the small realm of your personal life, and in the larger realm of the crazy, chaotic world that we live in, those things are still true. Let's lean toward belief. John, it just took a little bit to push him over, didn't it? I mean, he was carrying the weight of all of this. And a little bit of evidence reminded And he remembered what he'd seen in Jesus, what he knew of Jesus, what he knew of the Father, and he believed. He didn't know all the implications that Scripture tells us about the resurrection. One of those, I could, uh, we could do a whole sermon series on the implications of the resurrection, what it means. I was going to read to you uh, Hebrews 7.25. Sorry, This is one of the great uh, places in Scripture that tells us what the resurrection means. They're talking about how Jesus is the better high priest. He said, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Or some translations say, save to the uttermost. Right? Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. That's an implication of the resurrection. Jesus always lives to go to God on your behalf. He can save you to the uttermost. Whatever you're facing, Jesus is able to save you through it, from it, and put you above it because he always lives. That's just one of the implications in Scripture of the resurrection. (coughs) Now, going on in our chapter, uh, there's just so much that can be said about this, but I just want that to sink in. You can believe before you completely understand what's going on in your life. And when all you see are the bad things or mostly what you see are the bad things, you don't have to be pushed into unbelief. Do not allow yourself to be bullied into unbelief by the bad things that happen to you. Lean into belief. I love that about John. All right, let me. Let's go on here. You know, one thing I want to point out is that when Mary comes back, she's got some traveling to do. She's traveling on foot. She goes, tells, tells the disciples, Peter and John run. And then Mary comes back, and she sees angels, right? And uh, these angels, where were they seated? Interestingly, they were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, I don't know if that's significant, but if you know, if you've seen a, a picture of the, The Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, you have an angel at the head, an angel at the foot. In between is the Holy of Holies. There's an angel at the head and the foot of where Jesus had been. His resurrected body is the the place of encounter between us and the Father. That's beautiful. And Jesus, he goes on, I'm going to skip ahead, on the evening of that first day. So those things happened in the morning. And then on the evening, the disciples were together and still... The doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them. And I want you to notice the things that Jesus, he he speaks words to them. And his words are gifts. They're imparting something. And I want you to receive unto yourselves the words that Jesus speaks. Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Jesus, when he encountered the disciples, now it's the 11 minus the 12 minus minus Judas. And Luke also tells us those that were gathered with them. So there were people there. Jesus came and spoke to them, and by extension, then, these things are for us as believers of Jesus. He said, Peace. He imparted with his speaking, his words went over them, his vocal cords vibrated the air because, you know, his body was there. He's not a ghost. His body's gone. It's just like he just uh, passed through the grave cloths, he passed through uh, their closed door, yet he's fully present in his body. He spoke. These words resonated over them and were settled above them and imparted to them peace. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can have peace. We do have peace. It's there. All we have to do is grab hold of it, entrust ourselves to it, embrace it with belief. He also said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He's speaking to his witnesses. His martyrs. These people are to go out. He gives them purpose. I'm sending you out. You carry this resurrection message. If I could have an interview uh, with these disciples, um, one of the questions that I would ask, and it would be a setup, of course, what have you done with this information that you received from Jesus? What has changed in your life? What have you done Based upon this experience, and how is your life different? We can see that in the book of Acts. They carried it, the message, proclaiming it to the ends of the earth, fearlessly, boldly, even unto death. He gave them peace. He gave them purpose. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them power. It says in Acts, he, he breathed, in Acts, he, in John, he breathed on them, and he said, in Acts, you'll be baptized. You'll, you'll receive, the power will come upon you, and you'll receive, the, you'll have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is power. And because Jesus is risen, today, you can have hope, you can have faith, you have resurrection, but you have peace, you have purpose, and you have power. And that's good news. I can get long-winded. I just want to stop there. You must decide what you will do with this information. You must decide what you will do with this resurrected Jesus. I pray that you will be sent out, that you'll carry this message, that you'll have an encounter and you'll have a testimony and you'll boldly proclaim it. Paul boldly proclaimed to the Athenians. They mocked him, some of them. They scorned him. They laughed at him. Now, Paul was a studied man. But he wasn't influenced by their negative opinion. The cultures and societies that he went into, they emphasized different things. They had different values. And there were different aspects of the message of Jesus that maybe they found easy to believe and they found hard to believe. They treated the messengers in different ways. But in every case, they were unafraid of how they were perceived. They were unafraid of how they were received. They were unafraid of what m- consequences might come. They boldly preached the gospel of Christ. And I pray that we can do the same. We can take this resurrection. We can have our encounter. We have our testimony. We have our peace. We have our purpose. And we have our power. I want to pray for you guys. Jesus, I thank you for this group of people here. I thank you that you've gathered us together. Um, every Sunday, especially when I get up to talk and I look around the room, I feel your love for them. I feel your heart for them. I truly believe that I I feel your longing for them, your desire to, to, to work into their lives, to transform their individual lives and to give them purpose and use them to transform the world. Lord, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your blood that was shed, which we're about to celebrate through the Lord's Supper, was the payment, and your resurrection is the receipt. A certificate of authenticity. That the payment was received and it was made in full. And we live in the light of your resurrection, Jesus. So we pray that we would, through faith, believe and have. Let it dwell in us. Your peace. Your purpose. And your power. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.